0: Well, good morning. Um, as, as Pastor Ed said, uh, my name's Laura Birch. I'm another one of the pastors here, and it is so good to be with you all this morning um, as we continue our series looking at Matthew 28, 16 through 20. If you've been with us uh, over the past several weeks, you know we've been really digging into uh, this passage where we find Jesus' last words to his disciples after he has been resurrected. And, and Matthew records the scene in this way, saying, Now the eleven went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but they doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. We have been reading these words together each week, and this morning we are, we are focusing in on Jesus' instructions to make disciples, to teach them to obey all that he has commanded, or as the, the message translation puts it, to instruct them in the, past, in the practices and to train them in this way of life. And so we're asking, well, what, what is this way of life? How has Jesus been forming his disciples? Today, we're in the middle of three weeks where we're, we're looking back at some of uh, what a life of discipleship looks like to Jesus. And we're doing this by looking at the end of Matthew chapter 7, the very last portion of what is referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, Last week, Pastor Ed shared about how discipleship is a way of life, and that teaching and learning to follow Jesus, it isn't just about what we know, but how we live, right? Our lives are meant to bear fruit, and we can do that because we are attached to a vine that is to Jesus, to God, the source of life itself. Jesus said, I am the vine, as we we heard last week. Well, today we're going to pick up in Matthew 7, right where we left off last week, and we're going to hear now verses 21 to 23, where Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? and cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you who behave lawlessly. Other translations say, you people who do wrong. (laughs) These these are (laughs) pretty hard, seem like kind of harsh words from Jesus, don't they? And the first thing to clarify, I think, about what Jesus is saying here is that these words from Matthew 7, they are, they are first, uh, in, in context, directly uh, directed at those who are claiming to be close to God. And, and these are ones who are calling on Jesus as Lord, saying they're doing ministry in Jesus's name. And of course, as we're going to see, we all need to heed these words and the introspection that they might cause. But I want to be clear that that these words, they're not meant to instill fear in the the new believer or to produce anxiety over whether our earnest seeking after God and trying to live according to God's will might just end in rejection and that Jesus and God don't in fact know us. As we'll see, this this tough word is most specifically to those who are pretending to serve in God's name, but whose hearts are in fact far from God. Yet there is wisdom for all of us to glean from them. So as we begin thinking about what this passage is saying to us, it's important to think about its context. Um, As we said, it's in the Sermon on the Mount, which is where Jesus is laying out this vision of of God's kingdom values and what it means to live according to God's kingdom. And so we see in the beginning of chapter 5, he starts uh, by describing these values and, and what it means to be blessed. And then he goes on to say what his followers are uh, to do, how they are to live, how they are to pray, also how they are not to live, how they are not to pray. He talks about how they're to treat one another, to be God's witnesses in the world. And towards the end, Jesus is is talking about discerning true prophets, ones who truly are God's messengers versus false ones. The verses about good and bad fruit that we we read last week, um, again, while they're good for us all to consider, were especially important for discerning who were the trustworthy messengers or leaders and who were not. And it's these same religious leaders that Jesus again has in mind as he speaks the verses that we read today. Throughout the three chapters in the Sermon on the Mount, a recurring theme is that Jesus' disciples are distinctive. They are set apart from those in his day and in ours who appear religious, but actually seem to be most concerned with with others' views of them instead of truly living a life of obedience to God's way of, of mercy and of love. We all have to ask ourselves, uh, how are we measuring up there? Jesus particularly emphasizes that self-righteousness has no place in the life of discipleship. At the beginning of chapter 7, Jesus has just made clear that his disciples are not to judge others, saying that, you remember the phrase, they must take the log out of their own eyes before trying to remove the speck from their neighbor's. I find it helpful the way Pastor Greg Boyd describes and defines judging. He says to judge another person is to ascribe worth to yourself at the expense of others. To ascribe worth to ourselves at the expense of others. So we're taking their worth and we're, we're giving it to ourselves. And that often has a tendency to, to minimize our own sins and to maximize the sins and faults of others. It's often what we do when we feel guilty about something we've done wrong, right? That We try to justify ourselves thinking, well, well, at least I'm not as bad as that person or that group of people. We try to make ourselves feel better or look better by seeing and projecting others in a worse light, acting like our sin is just the tiny speck and theirs is the one that's a big log. But the logs in our own eyes give us faulty vision, limited perspective. As Christians, we believe Jesus is the only true judge, the only one who can really see things as they are. And we can find comfort knowing that he is the one who gave his very life to show us the depths of his love. And as scripture says, he is our advocate interceding with the Father on our behalf. So Jesus is a righteous and a just judge who can judge us all fairly, but with mercy and love. But that, judge, that judgment is not one of the ways that we're called to imitate Jesus. As people trying to follow uh, Jesus, we are not to put ourselves in a position of, of judging in any way. Definitely not in the sense that is, is taking others' worth and, and describing it to ourselves. Our role is to love, right? To share the worth that, that only comes from God, even at a cost to ourselves. Which is what we see Jesus doing in his living and dying to show us the way. And so so if we're not going to use this passage from Matthew 7 to to point our fingers and to judge others and and judge whether our neighbors are truly living out Jesus' teachings, doing God's will, then what are we to do with it? First, I think this passage uh, causes us to reflect on our own life, whether we truly are trying to live according to the will of God. Or if sometimes we find ourselves calling on Jesus' name, doing these works, speaking about God, working for the good of others, trying to serve, but maybe for some other reason than because we are known by God who loves us and loves the world and calls us to do these good things. Perhaps sometimes we find that, that we are more worried about how our service makes us feel, that it gives us a sense of pride and accomplishment. Maybe some of us uh, fall into the trap of allowing the good things that we do to become our identity, where we derive our sense of worth uh, from from those good things instead of knowing that our identity and our worth is not something we can earn or or produce, but is completely derived from our, our being God's beloved. We forget that our serving is just a response to God's love and grace. Or other times, maybe we notice that our real motivation, if we're, if we're honest with ourselves, our real motivation for, for claiming uh, Christ or doing good is maybe some, some monetary reward or, or short-term benefit. Maybe it's to make ourselves look good in others' eyes. This is something that I think all people struggle with in various ways. And, and it can be hard to be honest with ourselves, can't it? Maybe there's one of those that seems most hard for you. I know I remember when I was interviewing for seminary, um, I had someone uh, say to me, Laura, you need to remember that you are a human being, not a human doing. You're doing all these things, but are you taking time to just be? This self-reflection this self-examination, letting Scripture guide us to see ourselves as we truly are and to allow God to transform us into who God wants us to be, this is one of the important functions of God's Word. When we notice and acknowledge where we're going astray, where we're falling short, we can, we can uh, pray to God, we can ask God to help us correct course, knowing that God is ready to meet us where we are and to help us get back on track. Scripture in this way is like a mirror. Mirrors are important, right? I mean, this morning I was coming in and I was getting my microphone on and it got all tangled up in my hair. And I was, Amy saw me, I was having a tough time. And Kent, thankfully, he had an app on his phone that is a mirror, helped me to make sure that my hair was not all crazy when I got up here to preach. Mirrors are important. My husband, JB, he works for Ash County Habitat. And last week they were, they were finishing up a house and one of the last details to go in was the bathroom mirror. And a volunteer was attaching the mirror there to the wall and, and uh, getting it, you know, the screws tightened. And they tightened them just a little too tight. The mirror cracked. Well, another trip back to Lowe's. They got a new mirror, mirror not that big a deal. It happens. They couldn't do the, the dedication of the house without the bathroom mirrors. So they got another one. The volunteer goes to put it up. Another crack in the mirror. Third time, go go to Lowe's um, because the house needs mirrors. We know we have we have to look at ourselves in the mirror before we go out, right? But sometimes we forget how critical our spiritual mirrors are. That Jesus has given us this tool of God's word to examine ourselves, our lives. And too often we don't allow ourselves and our lives to be examined by Jesus' word, by the texts of Scripture that we read. Sometimes instead we just want to point the mirror to others, don't we? It's much easier as I'm I'm reading God's word to think about all the other people it applies to, not how it speaks to what might need to change in my own life. But you know, carrying around a mirror and holding it up to others, that's a little dangerous and it could break in our hands. I think the other temptation we fall into with Scripture is that sometimes we just, if Scripture is a mirror, we just want to study how beautiful the mirror is. Like, all oh, these words, they're just so lovely. This text, oh, what does it mean? What are, what are all the historical facts? What can we learn about the text? We see the, the, the details of the mirror, but are we allowing it to show us our own reflection? when we do allow God's Spirit to speak to us about ourselves through Scripture, it does inform our vision, teaches us where we need to go, and we try to see all things through the lens of Christ. But one, one other little kind of point, like I said, these verses from Matthew 7, 21 to 23, they follow Jesus' teaching about the false prophets, the ones who bear bad fruit, and so, while we aren't using them to judge others, it is appropriate to use discernment in situations like what Jesus described. For example, when we see leaders who are saying one thing and doing another, we have, we have to pay attention. In news and media accounts, when we see leaders who are claiming God's name or saying they're doing certain things in Jesus' name, do we also see that the rest of their lives, their work, reflect an authentic? Uh, authentic seeking to align with who Jesus is, what Jesus has done and calls us to do. Too often, whether it's in advertising, in politics, uh, even within Christianity sometimes, those who are trying to to gain influence toss around Jesus' name to gain credibility and following. And so if we see a, a business person, a politician, a person on TV or social media saying something in the name of Jesus... There is, as our verses from last week told us, a need to discern if, if what they're saying and doing is, in fact, bearing good fruit, leading to greater love, greater compassion and understanding and mercy, pointing us towards God and God's kingdom. Or is it just building up that person's own kingdom, their own influence, their own power and prestige? So again, we examine this not to take worth away from that person and to puff ourselves up thinking, uh, you know, we're better than all those sorry, no good hypocrites. That's definitely not the right attitude, but we are because we are called to love even the, the wolves in sheep's clothing as, as uh, we read last week. But we do take what we see into account to discern, is this someone I can trust to follow? That their words and their actions point and lead us closer to God's kingdom. So these verses that we read today from from Matthew 7, they they present a little bit of a paradox, don't they? On the one hand, we see that words are not enough. Uh, Recognizing Jesus as Lord, making that affirmation of faith, that is a starting point. But that is uh, not where it stops. Disciples not only recognize Jesus as Lord by ascribing that title to him, but uh, by making him Lord of their lives, doing the will of God. As, as uh, the book of James puts it, faith without works is dead. And we'll, we'll explore more next week what it, what it means to uh, be both hearers and doers of God's word. Our calling on Jesus' name is also to be accompanied by living lives, patterning ourselves and our life after Jesus' own life of love and mercy and self giving compassion. So we have to pay attention to what Jesus does and, and um, the acts of faithfulness that Jesus praises and what Jesus calls out as not being uh, true to a, a life of faith. But on the flip side, we can't just be about the action. For Jesus goes on to say that there will be many who claim to be God's messengers, even did miracles, who say, Lord, Lord, but still are not, to use that metaphor from last week, drawing life from the vine, that is a relationship with Jesus. So how can we be both those who call on Jesus' name and do the will of the Father? As we think about this, we might go in our minds to another parable that Jesus tells, found in Matthew 21, 28 to 32, where Jesus says to the chief priests and the elders, um, he, he tells a parable where he says, a man has two, had two sons. And he went to the first and said, son, go, do, uh, go and work in the vineyard today. And the son answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. And the father went to a, a second son and said the same. And the son said, I'll go. But then he did not go. Which of the two did the will of the Father, Jesus asks, and they say, of course, the first, the one who actually went and did. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of heaven ahead of you. Ouch. (laughs) Another harsh word from Jesus. For those of us who are insiders in the church, we, like those chief priests and elders, have to guard ourselves. Are we living such certain lives that that we think that our words, our past actions and devotion, maybe even our positions in the church, are sealing the deal for us in our relationship with God? Do we assume we are doing God's will just because we have claimed the name of Jesus? Or are we staying open, open to what God is calling us to do here and now at this point in our lives being faithful to actually go and do uh, what Jesus calls us to do. As we've said, Matthew 7 indicates a need to both acknowledge Jesus' authority in our lives to say, Lord, Lord, and to live accordingly, doing the will of the Father. Our words and our actions matter. That's one of the things I love about John Wesley, the founder of Methodism. He's very clear that a life of discipleship a life of growing as a follower of Jesus involves attending to both, to attending to our inner lives as well as the, the outer expressions of faith, uh, growing in our, our uh, love of God through prayer and scripture reading and meeting together and worship and also showing mercy and, and doing justice and uh, offering compassion, being generous. It's so easy not to have that balance in our lives, isn't it? Some of us, we tend to want to have a lot of time here at church, at home, studying the word together, calling on the name of Jesus in our worship and our praise, reading, journaling, praying, tending to our inner lives. And that is important. Yet, it doesn't always lead us to doing the things that Jesus later in Matthew 25 says are also important, maybe the the most important in the end. Giving water to the thirsty, food to the hungry, shelter to those in need, visiting uh, those in prison and those who are sick, providing physical needs for those considered the least in society. So sometimes we have to stretch ourselves in that area. Others of us, we're really good at at doing the good things in Jesus' name. We're serving on the weekends, throughout the week. We volunteer all the time. We give and give and give, but we fail to stop, to rest to be still and seek time with God, maintaining our relationship with the one who gives us life and strength. We become like Martha. You remember the story in scripture in Luke 10? She's hosting a dinner for Jesus and her sister Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. It says Martha was distracted by her many tasks. And so she came to Jesus and she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things, but few things are needed, indeed only one. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. We Marthas also have to stretch ourselves in the areas that don't come most naturally to us, to attend to that life with God. So again, coming back to Matthew, we know Jesus doesn't mean we are only ever to sit and commune with God and never do anything for others, but we also can't be so busy doing things for God that we forget to be with God. So how do we know? How do we know how much studying, praying, worshiping is enough? How much serving and advocating and giving to others is enough? When has either become too much how do we know that we are doing the will of God? This is something that also has to be discerned. In our tradition, we often talk about calling, not just the calling of ordained, to ordained ministry, but how God is calling each one of us in all manner of work and service. We think about something that, that is something that is both inwardly experienced We might get a sense of it when we spend time in prayer, maybe as we're in worship, or when we're reading scripture or journaling, but it's also outwardly confirmed through conversation with other mature disciples, through others saying, I see this in you, or maybe prompting you to consider, is this maybe where God's spirit is leading you? All of this is held up against the pattern of Jesus's own life and teaching, and we can see, does this fit? does it put me on a path of faithful living and growing as Jesus lays out for us? And each of us might take a slightly different path. We have different nuances in our calling, but they all fit into the holistic mission of Jesus' bringing the kingdom of God to break in here on earth. I love the way uh, the theologian Walter Wink talks about the significance of this passage in Matthew when he says, God invites us, in short, not just to conform to collective notions of what constitutes Christian behavior, but to seek the specific shape of our own divine calling in the day-to-day working out of our relationship with God. He says, we're not called to do everything, to heal everything, to change everything, but only to do what God asks of us. Wink's words remind me of the words of Bishop Ken Untner, who is uh, quoted often as the prayer of Archbishop Oscar Romero. And it says, it helps now and then to step back and take the long view. The kingdom is not only beyond our efforts, it is even beyond our vision. We accomplish in a lifetime only a tiny fraction of the magnificent enterprise that is God's work Nothing we do is complete, which is another way of saying that the kingdom always lies beyond us. No statement says all that could be said. No prayer fully expresses our faith. No confession brings perfection. No pastoral visit brings wholeness. No program accomplishes the church's mission. No set of goals and objectives includes everything. This is what we are about. We plant seeds that one day will grow. We water seeds already planted, knowing that they hold future promise. We lay foundations that will need further development. We provide yeast that produces effects far beyond our capabilities. We cannot do everything, and there is a sense of liberation in realizing that. This enables us to do something and to do it well. It may be incomplete, but it is a beginning, a step along the way, an opportunity for the Lord's grace to enter and do the rest. We may never see the end result, but that is the difference between the master builder and the worker. We are workers, not master builders, ministers, not messiahs. We are prophets of a future, not our own. What does it mean for us all to be those workers? Not master builders, those ministers ministering out in the community, not, not messiahs. How do we find the thing that God is calling us to, God's will for us that we must obey? Well, the good news it, it is that it is as simple and as hard as letting ourselves be loved by God, abiding in that love. Jesus already knows us, already loves us, and when we open ourselves to that love, we can allow ourselves to respond out of it. This is how we learn to discern and to do God's will. Recognizing that we are known by God and so seeing, in the words of of recently departed uh, writer Frederick Buechner, that the place that God calls you to it's that place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Friends, may we find ourselves in that place, loved and known by God, living according to God's will, loving in a way that God created us to love, so that the world may never be the same, may become more and more the world that God dreams it, To be. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you that you formed us in love and that you are loving us into the people you desire us to be. Help us to hear your voice, to recognize it when you call, and to respond in such a way that we are truly finding life in you and living according to your will. Teach us to love with the love that you have for all your children, all your creation. And as we seek to walk in your ways, help us to invite others to do the same. Amen.